Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, somebody said my name, right? Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm afraid my energy level is about like exactly what it sounds like <laughs> right now. I'm sorry. This is me after a holiday weekend with family. Um, hope you all had an okay time. Everybody stayed alive and ate too much and all of that. Oh, man. So, what is it? It's a Monday, I know, April 22nd. And you know, I even found my family unwilling. Somebody would say something like, do you believe, tr-? and they get like one or two consonant sounds out of their mouth and someone else would say, I don't want to talk about that. It was like, you could tell, I mean, that everybody was just burned out, truly burned out. And, and uh, I'm even more so now, jeez. I don't, you know, it's weird. I, I, I sort of gave myself a bit of a break over the weekend, didn't read as much as I usually do. And so I dipped back in today and it seemed like um, every other story I read seemed to be about the end of capitalism or the uh, the crisis in capitalism. Every everywhere I looked was another story. And all of it tied to the technology companies' um, concerns of what is really happening globally to us all because of just a very few companies concentrated in the United States, in Silicon Valley, who pretty much control speech <laughs> in this country, I mean in this world, who provide the platforms and who supposedly police those platforms with the horror, the massacre in Sri Lanka. Um, it was noted that almost immediately that country's government shut down uh, Facebook, I believe, uh, Google. They blocked um, YouTube, Instagram, <coughs> Snapchat, all of those ways that we now speak with each other and where we share information. The government of Sri Lanka shut all those platforms down because they see those platforms as spreading misinformation, disinformation, and in times of national crisis, which certainly they had reason to believe they were in, that uh, these social platforms actually promulgate more violence and I think they're right I think they're right so Sri Lanka almost immediately blocked all these social media platforms um, And that is because they were worried about the safety of their people and their country. And it's also motivated 
and this is what I keep seeing more and more about, the distrust that countries and people all over the world increasingly have in anything American. And all those companies I just mentioned are American. There is a sense that these companies are, first of all, incapable of controlling what's going on, that there's no way to police the content, or they certainly aren't doing it. Um, and what's really amazing is how quickly the perception of these uh, social media platforms, which are now the biggest megaphone in the world. That's how everybody speaks. That's how ideas spread. <coughs> um, when the internet first started and there was this, remember the Arab Spring? The whole idea was look at how this internet can be a vehicle for the liberation of entire countries. I mean, people take to the streets because they can get in touch with each other to hell with the p government. They can organize, get in touch, take to the streets. Uh, we saw it unfolding, happening, ah, wondrous. And, and now that sense unfortunately, is uh, declining rapidly because now what we see so much is um, evidence that these platforms are used often as vehicles for attacks on democracy, for sowing division, and they're successfully used. We need only look at our own 2016 um, election and the dangers to our much awaited 2020 election, right? And I mean, there is increasing evidence. It, this is not just all sort of a, a anecdotal and people as making assumptions or seeing cause and effect where maybe it really doesn't exist. Um, growing bodies of research about content of, uh, of these social media platforms and the linkage of, to, of what's on those platforms to racial violence and to religious violence are clearly starting to be quantifiable. Max Fisher uh, writing a piece in uh, the New York Times, which is even cited by the Washington Post today, too. Um, he makes the point that these social media platforms build their business, and let us not forget that's what they are. They build their business on these algorithms that... The idea of the algorithms is to serve up content to each and every one of us that will keep us engaged. In other words, keep our eyes on their screens. So when they employ an algorithm, they're not employing any algorithms that don't do that. And for an algorithm to get us to look, this is why they like to know who we are. So they know me, and I am different than you, but they know they can figure who I am and absolutely tailor-make my screen to keep my eyeballs on it. They do that to all of us. But 
this kind of business model, this this kind of searching for that algorithm to keep us all in thrall to them and their platform favors using primal emotion, usually negative, negative primal emotion, such as anger. So you wonder why we're all outraged all the time now? We're being fed. We're being fed outrage. You wonder why so many people are so fearful all the time? We're fed this diet of fear and anger, outrage. And it is because that's how those algorithms work, because they need to get us. You don't get gotten by somebody saying, now I would like to talk to you about all of the possibilities involving whatever subject, right? It doesn't, that doesn't attract anybody, a calm, rational tone. We're attracted to car wrecks. So as a result, we now see, I mean, anyone who's on it can see, Facebook is rampant with misinformation. An extraordinary number of people say they get their news they get their sense of what's happening in the world from Facebook. And the people who really like screwing around with our heads particularly love Facebook because of how ideas so quickly, ideas misinformation, disinformation, are spread on it. Last year, a, um, a United Nations official said that there was absolutely no doubt that Facebook had played a determining role in the violence in Myanmar, which if you'll recall, because it's hard to always remember, oh yeah, Myanmar, oh, what happened there? You had essentially um, a genocide, either attempted or in fact realized, right? That was the Rohingya. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg just keeps uh, getting richer. I I don't know. Of course, in this country. So this was one piece I saw in the paper today. And then I see another piece on the business section. This is of concern increasingly in for the people in business. And the headline is, Can Tech Companies Silence Hate Speech? And these are coming from actually two different places, but the same concern. And the answer really is, no. They might be able to silence it in some places, but how do you silence it in a country that has something called the First Amendment? And so we especially are, as Americans, um, our hands are more tied in getting some kind of a handle on the clear negatives of these kinds of, of platforms where fringe ideas and lunatics <laughs> who would normally before these platforms would not have had the ability to attract ears and eyes and now they sure as heck do and they can find each other. There's talk that what happened in Sri Lanka, even if it was carried out by sort of locals, it looks way too sophisticated and clearly 
there people are thinking that it has a much bigger global kind of a uh, maybe genesis, but that too uh, shows how small, seemingly power, not so powerful entities now, because of technology, have the ability to recruit, to sort of capture people, capture their heads. And that's going on all over the place. Countries without First Amendments have stake, started to take steps. Great Britain, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, which we saw how quickly New Zealand was able to move after their massacre in a religious setting, how quickly they were able to ban weapons, how quickly they were able to uh, shut certain people up. And we in this country looked on and thought, oh, wow, we can't do any of that. Britain can, Germany can, Australia can, New Zealand can, India can, and all of those countries have either adopted or are in the process of adopting uh, much, much stricter rules about content on social media platforms. But none of them have a First Amendment. Here is a, a woman who was the deputy chief technology officer in the Obama administration. Her name is Nicole Wong. And she says, for the first time, I am seeing the left and the right agree that something has gotten out of control. And there is a lot of consensus on the harms created by fake news, terrorist content, election interference, and in other words, all of this crap that is carried all over the globe and into our homes and heads like a horrible infection to which there is no antidote because of social media platforms. And the concern, as she points out, is coming from everywhere. What do we do? And of course, civil rights groups, you know, I'm, the ACLU, I mean, they'll, they will, it'll be very difficult for them to say anything but leave it free and unfettered. And I don't really think I agree with that. But their concern is, how, does, how do you define harmful content? Who decides what harmful conti content is? How do you create uh, a standard that would apply um, across global contemporary thoughts and belief, how do you decide where these lines are drawn? Even people of somewhat the same mind would maybe end up arguing about whether something had crossed a line or not. How much protection do we need? And in fact, can we protect ourselves into a autocratic state where government decides. I mean, at this point, you've got Mike, Mark Zuckerberg deciding. I don't want him deciding. I don't want government deciding. But I sure as hell want something that will keep these people with such bad intent like the Russians 
people who take this, what is wondrous technology, and turn it against us and our societies and our democracies and the very things that we cherish, like our freedoms, allow them that constant access to pollute our heads, to fill us with primal emotion, to keep us on edge, insecure, destabilized, to help a clown like Donald Trump become president. Hmm. These are issues that nobody's, I mean, do you see our... Um, we got a lot of stuff to deal with, God knows, but I don't see anybody dealing, really, with this threat. And in this country, as I said, it is a real problem because, because of our freedoms. Hmm. I don't know. Speaking of a clown getting elected, did you see that? Ukraine. Ukraine elected a, a, a guy who stars in a, a television comedy. He has never been elected to anything in his life. He's never been involved in it. He plays on television um, a guy who accidentally uh, becomes president. <laughs> now, see, here, here is where your head starts to you know, spin. Because how, I mean, I'm just wondering. Most people, and here's where media literacy would be a good idea. Most people, I don't think, make distinctions anymore between reality and what they're seeing presented to them on television or on the internet. It's all blurred. And so this guy, I suppose, seemed presidential. Ukrainians know him as this president. And you have to figure, I mean, they're thinking, well, he's doing okay as an accidental president on TV. Let's give him a shot here in the real deal. And why I, I suppose people will be making jokes and laughing about, you see those Ukrainians, they elected some, a comedian. Well, guys, we elected a television clown too. Right? We're seeing how that worked. Actually, their TV clown that they elected uh, seems uh, head and shoulders above ours already. Um, he's not an unserious man. He plays uh, in a comedy, but he himself is uh, seems pretty serious. <laughs> God, I wish him well. The other bizarre thing about this guy is that he's a Jew. And I got to tell you, as a descendant of Jews who came out of that area of the world, that is anti-Semitic territory, Eastern Europe. Jeez, wow. Jews are always running like hell from there. Almost all the Jews you have here are people who ran from, from Russia and Lithuania and Poland and Ukraine and all of that. They ran here just a few generations ago. So for a Jew, the Ukrainians elected overwhelmingly a Jew who's on television playing a president? I think that just sort of sums up the total insanity going on in the world. I'm, 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 I tip my hat to the Ukrainians. They apparently didn't care he was a Jew. They liked that he played a good president on TV. <laughs> and that trumped the fact that he was a Jew. 
It's sort of like, I think in this day and age, Americans would look past Pete Buttigieg's being married to a man. We got bigger fish to fry now all over the world. My understanding, as I tried to understand why the Ukrainians did this, is because they're, they're not unlike where we are and the people that uh, said our, they saw their government was totally corrupted, run by the, the rich, who the oligarchs that were um, pretty much owned their government, and the people were being left behind. Sounds familiar. And they're just part of this growing trend. Let's just blow it up. They quoted one voter who voted for the guy. He said, I want something to change. Let this younger guy do it. But what's interesting is this trend of uh, political outsiders gaining power, which is happening, we're seeing increasingly, the difference between this one, the Ukrainian guy, his name is Zelensky, by the way, is that he's not a po he's not like anti-immigrant. Most of these people who end up getting elected, shockingly, are um, anti-immigrant. They have you know these populist themes. That's not where he was coming from. He has uh, not shown any animosity toward migrants and immigrants. So that's not where his vote came from, which also is somewhat heartening. And somebody pointed out that this election worked in a country that you don't expect. Uh, the beauty of this election is that when it started, we did not know who was going to win. See, in Russia, you can't say that. In a lot of countries, you can't say that. They hold these elections and everybody knows the outcome. But the Ukraine, they really didn't know. So they held an election, and lo and behold, the power, the government, was thrown out for this guy. And the government acknowledged they'd been defeated and left power. So they had a peaceful transition through the ballot box of their government. And for that part of the world, that can be pretty astonishing. So I don't want to treat this weird election result with quite the contempt that I will would treat the election result that we saw here with the extraordinary <laughs> oh I see can you still you see at a time like this I can't eat still believe that the American people the ones that bothered to vote and given our again our strange system with that electoral college even though most Americans didn't want this guy, we got him. And boy, we got him. So, let's get to some emails here. David writes, as privately owned corporations, this is true, Google, Facebook, right? Social media platforms have no obligations to protect anyone's free speech rights. They can ban anyone they want for purposes they want. This is all true. If they can delete a picture of a bare-chested woman and ban the person posting it repeatedly, then they can certainly delete hate speech and ban anyone who continuously posts it. Well, wouldn't they then ban? Why don't they take Donald Trump's Twitter account away since he spreads knowingly false information? And you could argue uh, gives aid and succor to violent extremists. 
And David says, what constitutes hate speech? It's the old, I can't explain it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. But something, he says, has to be done. Better yet, delete your Facebook account, your Twitter account, right. That's what increasingly I am thinking people need to do. Remember, as David said, you did fine for years and years before it became a part of your life. And guess what? You'll be just fine again without it. In fact, you'll be better. Make it socially unacceptable to be on Facebook. Sneer at people who continue to use it. It's bad for you as an individual and bad for us as a society. I sort of like that idea. But I don't think they've hooked people. We're, we're a nation of addicts. There's too many people who are too addicted, who don't want to go back to keeping in touch with family and friends in a, another way, like picking up a telephone, writing a letter. No, that's all. I don't know. But we've done other things that seemed impossible. Look what we did to smoking. And that would seem to have been an impossible turnaround to make something that was in fact considered glamorous, to make it into the exact opposite, something filthy and stupid and deadly. And Facebook, Facebook is up there. Bree writes, hey, Lynn, if Russia could alter some of our voting machines, what are the odds they could do that or more in Ukraine? Well, exactly. Although the Russians don't like this guy. They ain't going to like this guy at all. Mm -mm. But Russia screwing around in Ukraine is a given. It's a, I mean, that's, you know, the fact that Ukraine is a free country now is something that Vladimir Putin finds intolerable because he wants a reconstituted Soviet Union and that would include Ukraine as part of his <laughs> country. No, the Russians are a real, they're as much of a problem as they were when I was a kid. They are just doing it a little bit differently, but they're bad actors in the world stage. They're bad. And we're not taking them on. Roger writes, of course, in regard to what? F the pesky f freedom of speech and um, the increasingly frightening social platforms that spread hate and death. It's a slippery slope. Roger says, I agree that false statements that fire up bad behavior on platforms like Facebook must be addressed, but where does it start? Trump is the worst person to be our leader with his exclamations of fake news, fixing False statements to one is stifling free speech to others. Another slippery slope is religion. My good friend feels Christians are being discriminated against when companies and stores are forced to provide forced to provide birth control to their employees or provide service to homosexuals. He won't accept that it's a civil rights issue. Well, he, he accepts it's a civil rights issue. He now sees freedom of religion as his ability to discriminate against others who his religion tells him, right, are living in sin and he should not be forced to help. That's where we've, that's where we've gotten now. And by the way, we've got a Supreme Court that I think would agree with that idea of uh, the First Amendment. 
and its freedom of religion. We're seeing those kinds of cases again and again and again. So what used to be freedom, is it freedom of religion or freedom from religion? I thought if in fact this country gives people the right to practice their religion without interference from government, that's how this person sees the First Amendment. And there are jurists who agree. Never used to be the case that anyone agreed with that, but that's how far off the off the beaten track this country's gone. And Roger says, so if we go that route, his friends, maybe certain religions will ban people of color from sitting at home. Sitting in their pews or at, or certainly can ban gay people or whatever. I don't know. Slippery slopes. Roger says, seems like we're going backwards. I totally agree. I don't know. It is Earth Day. God help you, Earth. Here is um, Barbara wanting to remind us what Rachel Carson <coughs> said to us. Silent Spring was um, published in 1962. And she admonished against the fragmentation, commodification, and erasure of truth in an era when narrow silos blind specialists... I can't read this right now. It's too... It's too, that's not her words. That's somebody else is talking about her. I like people who write a little more easily to the ear. Here are Rachel, Rachel Carson's words. We urgently, we urgently need an end to these false assurances, to the sugarcoating of unpalatable facts. That's like climate denial. And when she wrote her book, there was so much more misinformation and disinformation. People thought chemicals were a godsend. Ah, look, look at the you know agricultural output is like, we're going to feed the world now. We can beat Mother Nature. We can control things. Of course, we were incorrect and she was speaking inconvenient truths to borrow a phrase from somebody else who was speaking inconvenient truths so yeah Roger gives us the first amendment government shall pass no laws to it says benefit? Wait a minute. I got my constitution. I always carry a constitution to benefit. Oh, wait. Sorry, I got to get to the amendments, don't I? Okay, amendment <coughs> one. Congress shall make no law. No. Here's the exact wording. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And that religion is before the speech part. <clears throat> that was the first 
Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. The word establishment is a big to-do because it's saying there will not be. In other words, this will never be. It will not be established as a Christian nation or any other nation. Um... Okay, Congress will make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and it's the free exercise thereof that gets us to these court cases where people's idea of what the free exercise of their religion is and how it can come to loggerheads with somebody else's idea of their freedoms, like of assembly like of their own civil their own civil rights. So the first amendment reads thusly, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for re, a redress of grievances. So there, in one little quick thing, they've said the American people will be free to worship as they want, to speak as they want, to get together and assemble, to uh, petition their government when they feel the government is wrong, um, and also we shall not have governmental control of our media. Well, I appreciated this. Um, did you see that one of the Disney uh, heirs her name is Abigail Disney, um, and she uh, obviously is very rich because her grandfather and her uncle, um, her uncle was Roy, I, I mean her father was Roy, her uncle was Walt, but the two of them founded uh, Disney. And the head of Disney now is, you probably know, is, a, is a Bob Iger. Uh, and he made last year $65.6 million. And Abigail Disney saw that number and said, let me do a little quick math. And she did. And she said, you know, with that money, he could have given a 15% raise to every employee who works for Disney. And that's a ton of people. He could have given, instead, a 15% raise to every employee and still pocketed $10 million for his year's labors. And she is one of the rich in this country who are increasingly speaking out about how disgusting it is to have the disparity that we do between people at the top and the people who do the labor. <clears throat> she called his pay insane. She says there is a point at which there's just too much going around the top of the system into this class of people who have too much money. And she called for something she called it humane capitalism. 
increasingly I'm reading about this kind of thing too. The Washington Post had an article yesterday about how increasingly U.S. billionaires are worrying about the survival of the capitalism that made them so rich because people are increasingly seeing that it screws most of us. Yeah, humane capitalism. I suppose there's, if you regulate it enough. So, I mean, his, the ratio um, of Iger's pay to how much uh, an average employee of Disney makes is he made 1,424 times the amount that an average employee at Disney makes. And that was the fifth largest ratio separating the CEO from a regular employee that is known. Um, that, you know, there are people who crunch the numbers. 1,424 times. And we don't question that. She took to Twitter. See, this is even a million billionaires, I'm sure she is, um, use these social media platforms to reach as many people as they possibly can. And on Twitter, she said this, what on earth would be wrong with shifting some of the profits, the fruits of these employees' labor to some folks other than those at the top? I'm not saying Iger doesn't deserve a bonus. He most certainly does. He's brilliant and has led the company brilliantly. And yes, I'm aware that 125,000 employees did get a $1,000 bonus after the tax bill was passed. That was how you spent 125,000... What? 120... Oh. At least respect the dignity of those who pay in your stead, uh, who pay the taxes, who do the work. If what they do is necessary to conducting your business successfully, then they deserve to be paid what they need to conduct their lives successfully. You know, that's what we have lost sight of. There is no respect for the people who allow the rich to be rich, who allow them that by virtue of doing the labor in every way. Those are the people who are being constantly disrespected and they're angry and growing angrier. The ones who weren't thinking at all clearly gave us Trump in their anger. So this woman, Abigail Disney, is uh, a very rich person who is very uncomfortable with what is happening. Well, would that there were more. We have a caller. Go ahead, please. Hey, Lynn, it's Mike in D.C. Hi. What I don't understand is how short-sighted the capitalists are. I mean, even the famous anti-Semite Ford knew that if he paid his, his linemen enough money, they would buy one of his cars. Exactly. And Walmart, who went up and pay knew that the reason that they did it was, one, they're having a hard time finding labor, but also they knew that their employees would spend that money or a majority of it at Walmart. So why don't capitalists get that point, that if we pay the people at Disney World enough money to live without having to have food stamps, which apparently is the case for some of them, um, then they will spend that money back at Disney World or will at least once or 
it will put more money in the economy, which will make more people come to Florida, which make more people rich. More people buy the the new streaming service that Disney's going to do. I don't understand the short-sightedness of it. Well, the short-sightedness comes from the way that capitalism has morphed into this, you know, um, shareholders, stockholders want immediate. They they don't want long-term. They want immediate. You know how we're into immediate gratification. Well, they want it. They don't take long views anymore. They don't. It's insane. You're, yeah, I, mean, I think it's... I, it's probably Eisner who also does not want long-term because he'll be dead long-term. <laughs> God. It's, but it's so short-sighted, and it's the unfettered... And I'm not a, against capitalism. I mean, I own property. It's the unfettered capitalism right. that concerns me. Right. Oh, it's like the wild, wild west. How different are we from the wild, wild west? Cops can shoot up anybody black... And get off, and um, companies can pollute our water and our air and get off. It's only mildly better than the Wild Wild West. Um, maybe not even better. I don't know. I don't know. There is no right. the The rich are running uh, roughshod over the rest of us, and um, and. Something's got to change. And you would think from their own self-interested point of view, I mean, that's what you were saying, why don't they see that they are are getting people to a point where we're going to storm the barricades? But, I, you know, I don't know. And yeah, I don't know. So much of what I've been reading, again, I mean, I just here in uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike is going to have all electronic toll collection. Uh, and that means 500 people with that awful job of sitting in the, those booths taking money and giving us change. Those are 500 people that will be losing their jobs uh, to machinery, to computers. And that is not going to stop. That's just going to keep on coming and what are we supposed, what are these people supposed to do? You can't go from a toll booth uh, collector to, uh, you know, a computer programming. There's no understanding that, that people are not all, you know, geniuses who can do this kind of work that there's some good remuneration in. I mean, what happens to people who used to be able to live a good, solid secure life working with their hands doing some kind of we're, we're heading into a bad place a bad place and that's not even my issue with the turnpike what? if they did that and lowered the turnpike to a reasonable amount of money because from dc to pittsburgh it's 17 dollars, i think Thirteen dollars because I get off sometimes at different stops. Well, it keeps um, getting it's going what? up every year. Every year it's going up. Right. Yeah. So if this was their way of saying we want to keep prices lower because um, it's a, a, exorbitant, then I'd say okay, I understand. But that's not what they're going to do. They're just going to pocket that money and say they're doing reverberations of a section to, like you mentioned the other day instead of two lanes to three lanes because people get upset when they're stuck on the turnpike. I take 68 to save that money. It costs me an extra 40 minutes in my car, but I take 68 as like a boycott to say no. Because yeah. I'm paying it in gas and time. But it's just politically I'm so against tolls. There's nothing for the good of all of us anymore? Does everything have to make a profit, including the road I get from point A to point B, including the, the expense, the money that I'm gonna spend in Pittsburgh, way out, way over comes the money that the Turnpike Communication, uh, Pennsylvania, is, is way out weighs the money that I'm gonna spend in Turnpike. You know what I'm saying? Like. They should want me to come to Pennsylvania, 
not penalize me for coming to Pennsylvania. Uh, well, they penalize you on your way out, too. Right. Right. Unless you take 68. Unless I take 68. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I do, and I know that makes no sense, but well, I, I totally do because it, it's 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 highway robbery. Where do you think that <laughs> phrase came from? I don't think it came from. It is highway story. robbery. Yeah, I got gotcha, you, but I don't think that was the origin. But uh, yeah, but it is. Uh, yes, highway robbery. Robbery. Thank you. What Matt. are you gonna do? Are you uh, on the road? They say you pay or. or... So anyway, well, I hope you have a better Tuesday. Me too. Bye. Talk Bye. to you soon. Uh, Beth writes, I'm not sure if you knew this, but about two weeks ago, Disney officially took over 20th Century Studio and its television unit. It's hard to keep up with all these monopolistic grabbings of, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, what, six corporations left? Uh, no. Okay, so Disney now ha has 20th Century Fox. Yeah. And its television unit. Every day they are letting go Fox employees. They let an entire department go in one day. This, as Iger got his bonus. People who have studio jobs, especially at one of the major studios, expect to have those jobs for as long as they wanted them. Shame on our government for allowing this merger to go through and giving Disney more power. Well, Beth works in the... Um, actually, I see you here on your... You're a payroll accountant for 20th Century Fox Film Corporation. Uh, well, I hope you aren't in jeopardy. <sighs> wow. I don't know. Yeah, we should all get off Facebook, Twitter, stop reading any... No, we can't. See, we can't, though. I don't know. I just don't know. Don't ask me. I'm just like you, overwhelmed... Well, unlike you, overwhelmed, I, I'm not overworked. I, I, I do know a lot of younger people that are horribly overworked, not being compensated properly. I was talking to somebody about how, how lucky um, we were, both of us being older, to have worked in television when we did because we were well-paid, uh, pretty well-paid as reporters. And um, if you look at what reporters are making now compared to what we made, pff, nothing. And they're working much harder. They not only have to put a story on, they've got to do the social media stuff. They've got to sometimes you know, shoot their own stories. They've got to put up... I mean, there is so much more that is required of them, and they don't have the kinds of benefits we had. We had a pension. We had all this stuff. I still I get a pension from the Hearst Corporation. <laughs> I'm a lucky one. means I'm old. But I still was working when there was this sense of a contractual obligation that my labor would be compensated fairly. Well, in some respects, going backwards would be good. We're just doing the wrong backwards movements. <laughs> Going back to that sense of obligation that labor and capital were both necessary. And if you couldn't have, well, okay, we're out of time, but all right. I hope I'm in a better mood tomorrow.
I hope the sun comes out. Is that asking too much? I don't think so. Anyway... Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.